Pranakasha live stream. Hey folks, it's Matt from Pranakasha Productions, and today we're talking with Rob Jones of Rob Jones Journey once again. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a quick recap of the previous uh, interview that we've done. So uh, if you haven't watched that other interview, we'll put a link right down below and go ahead and watch that first. And then this, this interview will make a whole lot more sense. And um, before we get started, please give us a like. And if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to the channel and uh, share this video. That helps us out, helps the channel grow, keeps uh, YouTube happy with us. And of course, leave a comment. If we have comments down there, conversations, all kinds of ways of demonstrating that you like the video and you're interacting with it, that gets YouTube happy and that also helps the channel grow. All right, Rob, well, it's so good to have you back. Crazy times happening out in the world, all kinds of upheaval, all kinds of things, all kinds of challenges. Um, yep. But still, I mean, it all kind of pales in comparison to what you had to go through. And then you come out the other side, you know, just ready to take life by the reins and just do whatever you can think of, you're going to do it. Yeah, so uh, recap where we left off last time. I was... Uh sort of a failing college student at Virginia Tech studying computer science, um, had a come to Jesus moment and joined the Marine Corps and went to Afghanistan as a, as a IED finder basically and got found by an IED and uh, the IED uh, severed both my legs above the knee. And I think we kind of ended as I was emerging from the, Delauded morphine haze in the uh, intensive care unit at Bethesda, right? Yeah, that was about it. And then you, <clears throat> maybe you should tell, but tell people what an IED is. Oh yeah, for uh, IED, an improvised explosive device. Easiest way to think about it is just a uh, like a landmine, basically. Kind of a homemade, Except made homemade mid landmine, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's where we that's where we left off, and. Um, as I emerged from that, uh, that haze, my senses started coming back and I had to start thinking about what was next. Right. Um, you know, you kind of sort of what was next, what was next in the very, very, very short term, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about, you know, what, what's my five-year plan now, but yeah, I was okay. thinking about what's, uh, you know, what's, what is the situation basically? Can I accept it? What is the truth? That's what I'm asking myself right now. And the thing that uh, struck me is that, your biggest concern rather than for yourself, like you, I would have thought, well, now what am I going to do with my life? It was like the biggest concern for you was how am I going to take care of my mom and help her deal with this? Yeah. I mean, well, I was, yeah, <clears throat> I was thinking about um, how she was going to be really, really destroyed by the news, you know, um, like any mother would be. And the only thing I could think of was to make her laugh. And so I, you know, I did that thing with the funny hat. Turns out she had, she had a funny hat for me and that sort of, uh, but it, the, the theme of that was show everybody that I'm going to be okay. I think at least at a subconscious level. And so that's, that was the way that I tried to do that. And I think it worked because 
people started bringing me hats. The, the room that I was in was always a happy place, a positive place. And I think everybody that came in saw that I was doing well. And I kind of manifested a positive attitude in myself by doing that. And then wow. just kind of rode that, rode that momentum. Did, were the nurses, like, was that somewhat common for somebody to, to have your kind of attitude? Or were they, like, especially impressed with how well you were doing that quick? Or? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think it's probably more common than you might expect. All the people that I ever spoke to <clears throat> that were at that point had pretty some, a pretty similar attitude. Wow. Um, that's not to say that there weren't a fair amount of people that went through um, – various stages of grieving and uh, denial and uh, having a hard time. But all the people I ever spoke to in the hospital were pretty positive and were able to accept what happened, at least in the moment, I wow. don't know what their, what their stories were like later on. But um, do, are you in contact with any of those people? Um, yeah. I mean, my buddy uh, was wounded an hour before me, not, so, not as severely as I was, but uh you know, obviously we're best friends, so we speak all the time. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I'm not really in touch frequently with anybody else. I stay in touch with my nurses and uh, physical therapists and prosthetists and things like that um, on a fairly regular basis. Hmm. Prosthetists especially because, you know, obviously I need stuff with my legs done, so. Wow. Okay, so it's kind of it. your um – prosthetic you have to have it adjusted regularly and things like that or yeah i get new ones made get new sockets made as as things and as i come up with new ideas for ways that i can perform certain activities like right now i'm trying to design a uh, hiking leg and so my process is kind of helping me with that just getting various components and retreading my uh running feet maintaining stuff you know so there's a lot to that goes on that I, you know, stay in touch with him. Wow. So you're, you're able to make a design and create a custom thing. So are, are you officially on like the engineering team or something or, or do they no, just, take just uh, an idea that I've had, you know, as a user uh -huh. and as somebody that lives this life, I kind of recognize where there are, you know, not necessarily failings, but you know, uh, a missing, um, tool that could be used, especially for me. Like I like to go hiking. So, uh, on the Appalachian trail around here, and I just don't have a leg that really is, or I feel like there could be a leg designed and built that could do that more efficiently for me. Hmm. And nobody has one right now. So I'm going to try and invent it myself. Wow, and that's cool. sort of, I mean, that's sort of the attitude that I have throughout a lot of things. And I think, a lot of people should have is that if you see a, I think a lot of people do have that actually is you see a, a lack of uh, something that's available that could be useful and you go out and you, you, you know, fill that need. And that's, that's why we have iPhones. That's why we have all sorts of various things. That's why we have cars. That's why we have a lot of stuff because people see a need and they go out and fill it, but it starts, you know, with uh, your own, your own need. Somebody needed a chainsaw at one point. So they invented it. Wow. Wow. Okay. And it'll probably just be a leg that only I ever use, but you know, if it works for me, then that's fine. Huh. That's so, so I guess your idea would be that you, instead of 
having a sort of one-size-fits-all leg, it'd be better to have kind of a set of them, like you have your hiking boots, your running shoes, your dress shoes, or whatever. You'd have, similar. you have different types of legs for different types of situations. Yeah, there really is no such thing in, in the prosthetic world for above-knee amputees, uh, well, at least double above-knees, in my opinion. Uh, you kind of have to have, you can kind of have one leg that can kind of get the job done. Okay. Um, but if we're talking optimal performance of any particular task, you're probably going to want to have a different leg. Like I have had legs I wear around the house that are different from the legs I wear to run. They're different from the legs I wear to ride my bike that are different from the legs I wear to do jujitsu or the jiu-jitsu, legs what? to do various things. Okay. I didn't know you did martial arts. Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I don't go regularly, but like when I do go in to do something like a jujitsu type of thing, I wear a different set of legs than I would wear to go for a walk or to go for a run. Okay. Um, and then when I'm doing, I do a little bit of like training, doing like knife and stick fighting. I wear a different set of legs for that too. So, I mean, and I, so I, with that, I kind of, that's more of a self-defense thing. So I wear whatever I would be wearing out and about. Wow. So yeah, what the moral of the story is you wear the legs that are going to get you to be able to do the task most effectively. And wow. a lot of the times that's a different set of legs. How do you fund all these extra ones? Like does TRICARE pay for all those or, or do you have to do like um, the VA? I have, I have access to the VA and also uh, Walter Reed cause I'm retired. And so usually in terms of who buys it, it's usually the VA. So I go to the VA and, or I usually it's a E appointment. I kind of contact their amputee clinic and I say, I want to get such and such thing. And they call me up and they say, well, what's the justification? I tell them the justification. They write it down in their paperwork, they send away and they send that order over to my uh, prosthetist. And then he buys all the stuff and the VA pays for it. Okay. Do they push um, back if, that much or is it basically just do the paperwork and you'll get it? I really have never had any pushback on anything mm. that I've wanted to do. And I've done a lot of experimental stuff. Great. Um, that doesn't mean that one day they won't, you know, I don't, I don't really know, but so far I've gotten everything I've ever asked for. And if I don't get it from them, then I could, if, you know, if, if something I want to do is beyond the scope of what they think they would want to buy, then I could always go over to Walter Reed and probably do it there. Okay. And then does, do you uh, get a lot of gigs from the military to go give talks and stuff? Not tons. Um, usually it's just the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Certain Marine Corps units will hear about me and ask me if I come and speak to their battalion or speak at their uh, birthday ball or things like that. So I'm not like, you know, going around all the time. I'd li I like doing it. I love doing it, talking to Marines so or military units in general. But it, I don't get tons of requests for that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess <clears throat> I think that the the fascinating thing will be. So I still have we still haven't really figured out how you already had this survival. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna continue to make something really amazing out of my life attitude right mm. from the get go. Is that, um, was that just in your DNA or in your upbringing or? I meant it's probably one from? of those things that, you know, I think everything like this is, you know, nature plus nurture. So I probably, maybe I do have a, uh, 
genetic temperament that allows me to accept things quicker than, or, you know, on the quick side. Plus I had all that Marine Corps training and in the Marine Corps, as I'm sure you're aware, when you have, you're on a mission, uh, you just, you execute that mission regardless of what happens. So, you know, if the, if something goes wrong here, you find another way. If something goes wrong over there, you find another way. You just keep finding a new way until you kill the guy that you're trying to kill or take the ground that you're trying to take. Or so, and I think that just made me put me in the right position at the right time to be able to accept my situation quickly and move on from it. Okay. And I can tell you retrospectively the philosophy that, you know, I identify in it, but I don't know that I was really thinking philosophically at that point. I think I was just kind of reacting on instinct. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Trying to do what was best for the people around me. Um, and I just was in a, I just had the tools at that point from, I think from Marine Corps training and probably maybe a little genetic, uh, who knows, maybe error in the fact that I'm able to accept things quickly. Okay. And then in the Marine Corps, you're, you just described how um, you see a problem and then you immediately get into problem solving mode and you just figure out the best solution that you can. Mm. Um, do they also have, did you also get training in just how, into, into how to maintain your mental health and sense of well-being within that? Or is it just that you have this task and just the, the focus that you get on this task is the thing that gives you joy let's say gives you a reason for being yeah i mean not not like classroom level instruction or anything but i think um that's kind of what the marine corps drills into you from day one is the attitude more than anything and through experience through training um they're not telling they're not sitting there giving you a course about this is what you do when something goes wrong Mm -hmm. Um, but they just put you in all these situations where something inevitably always goes wrong and you have to figure out how to get around it or how to figure out how to get through it. And so I think it was more, it wasn't necessarily classroom instruction. It was just all practical application. Okay. So, and there, I am assuming that you somehow you absorb or you, you discover this sense of, um, confidence in yourself and in your team, right? Mm. I think is it is that what carries you through? Yeah, that's one of the things. I mean, um, being able to trust the team that you're with and being confident that you can all get things done. Yeah, that's part. That's certainly part of it. Okay, it's a vital part of it. Do you find yourself uh, teaching your kids this stuff already, or? Um. Well, he's only two. Oh, okay. So as much as you can, <laughs> I guess, a uh, early. <laughs> you know, well, well, you know, you can kind of, you know, make them, make them figure something out instead of just helping them all the time is really what you, at this point, at this point, they're just imitating their parents. Yeah. Like so they're just trying basically to absorbing it from you. Yeah. Yeah. If he's trying to get somewhere and he's having trouble, you know, don't just step in right away and make him figure out how to get there. Okay. Now, does he? How does he relate to seeing your um, artificial legs? 
Is he fascinated by them or, or does he um, ask about them? Or he recognizes that I have to put legs on. I don't know that he really recognizes that. I think he's probably too young at this point to notice that something's sort of different. And he, he, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how a two-year-old processes, but yet last night he was saying, I don't have feet. So he notices that. And I say, where dad has feet. And he points to my prosthetics and says, those are your feet. So I think in some way he sees that there's something different about me, but I don't know that he really knows that this isn't just how right. you can be. You know what I mean? I don't, it's hard to say. I he think usually thinks- around five is when kids start to be like, you know, what happened to you? Yeah. Cause you're not supposed to be like that. Right. Right now he probably thinks that all dads don't have feet. Yeah. Right. It's just normal. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it just doesn't even register with him. He just, he's like, dad, I put your legs on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> let's do this. Wow. Okay. Well, let's keep rolling then. So you're, you're started doing your rehab in the hospital. And then how long was that process? Um, start to finish year and a half. Um, and I probably didn't have to stay for rehabilitation purposes longer than maybe a year and a quarter, but, uh, military paperwork takes a long time to get processed. And there's a lot of steps along the way to, to complete your sort of, uh, exit. And so the paperwork was what I was waiting for at the end. And it didn't okay. hurt to take extra time to do that and sort of, uh, I did an FBI internship for a while. It's, you know, just take that time to kind of explore what you could do next while you're sort of in that safe environment still or that you, sort of controlled environment. And during that time, you were still technically Marine. You hadn't been discharged yet, right? I'm still a Marine. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, still yeah. active duty. Okay. Yeah, I was okay. still, I hadn't been retired yet. In other words, you're still getting a paycheck. You're still... Would, yeah, I was being you, housed. Did uh, you still wear your uniform? Not really. So, uniform for Marines in the physical therapy clinic was just a green t-shirt and black shorts. They didn't make you wear camis or anything like that. Okay. So, but they did want you to get a haircut. They wanted you to shave. Um... Mm-hmm they wanted to kind of maintain the mindset that you're still a Marine and you need to get things done. Did you ever go to the firing range? No, we didn't do anything like that. Not for, you know, you're, you're exempt from all training besides doing your rehab at that point, but they want you to maintain some sort of disciplined grooming standard and that kind of thing. Um, Just to, I think the theory was that they didn't want you to lose sight of what you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, 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 there's positives to that. And there's also negatives. Like it was, it was just annoying to have to put up with the, uh, having to wear a uniform and having to check in every day and having to shave. And when you're in that situation, I don't want to, I didn't want to have to do any of it, but, uh, that's kind of just what being in the military is at, at some degree, you have okay. to put up with grooming standards and barrack stuff. And those standards are also maintained out in combat environment, right? Typically, you know, um, they, they have the leeway to let them lax a little bit. Like when you're doing a two week long push, uh, with no, not a whole lot of resupply, 
you know, they tend to let you not have to shave every day. Okay. Because you um, see, like, these war movies, like, uh, Vietnam War movies or everything, where everybody gets kind of grungy looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't have the ability to cut your hair, they're not really going to make you cut your hair. You know, when you're out in this in the field for weeks at a time, you know what I mean? So um, they look at it from a realistic perspective too, but eventually it does get to a point where they're just, they say, just bring a razor with you and shave. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Interesting. Okay. And then at some point you decided you wanted to do like Paralympics and that kind of stuff. So how far down the road was that? I found out about that the Paralympics existed when I was in the hospital uh, in my first month. I was just kind of looking for ways that I could still work out and stuff. And I forget what I Googled, but I just found out about the Paralympics. And it was interesting to me, but I had a long way to go before I could even really think about. I thought, you know, at the, at the moment, I thought, you know, maybe that's something I could try and do someday. <clears throat> um, but I didn't really start pursuing it until... The next spring, so I was wounded in July of 2010, and so I probably wasn't at a place where I could really start thinking that way until March, April of 2011. <clears throat> and at that point, I um, came across this guy that taught rowing at the uh, at the hospital, and he was trying to recruit people to see if they'd be interested. And so I went up to him and talk to him about it because the rowing was actually the sport that I thought I might want to do because I just remember the rowing, the rowing machine in the gym being a hard workout. And so I talked to him and he said, why don't you come down and try rowing out? So I did enjoyed it. He said I had some natural talent or I had, you know, potential anyway. And things just kind of snowballed from there where I enjoyed it, kept training. He just so happened to know a female um, that was, that wanted to go to the Paralympics that was talented. Um, Cause that's what I needed. I needed a female partner for my boat class. And uh, we met, got along, uh, rode well together. She was in a position where she wanted to commit to going to the Paralympics. I was, had just retired. I needed a new, you know, a new path. And so we kind of made the agreement that we're going to try and make it to the Paralympics the next year. Wow. So it was kind of a, perfect storm of of things that all came together and as how does that work do you get a sponsor that helps fund it or do you have to self-fund the whole thing or self-fund um we had a lot of free coaching and a lot of free you know uh, people will when you when people find out that you're trying to go to the paralympics or the olympics they'll they'll help you a little bit more than if you're just you know a regular person that likes rowing and so we were able to get, you know, a free coaching, free boat storage, free help moving our boat. Um, I lived in a hotel, but my rowing partner lived with uh, a couple that gave her a free room. Um, oh, nice. You know, all sorts of stuff. A lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of generous um, giving to to the mission. Um, but okay. ultimately, any expenses are on you. Was she also a marine? No, her name's Oksana, and she is she was a um, an orphan from Ukraine. She was born with um, physical uh, what deformities, and ultimately had her legs amputated at uh, a young age. And she was adopted uh, from Ukraine by her mom, and they 
moved to Kentucky. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm assuming you stay in touch with her. Yeah, I mean, she's doing, she's a badass. She's gotten something like, uh, she stayed with uh, Paralympics. And so she's gone to like, I don't know, at this point, six or seven Paralympics. And she's got, I don't know, 20 medals or something like that now. So wow. she's, uh, yeah, she's quite an athlete. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then I kind of know a little bit, a little bit of your story. So then, as you were doing the Paralympics, then somehow, somewhere in there, you met who is the person who's now your wife, right? Yeah, Pam. Um, so we did the Paralympics. We got a bronze medal, and then a couple days after the final, um, the American team was out celebrating. Uh, and the English team was out celebrating and we, you know, both groups of people ended up in the same casino bar and we just kind of came together because those were the two English speaking groups, um, that were in that, that bar, that particular bar. So we just kind of hung out and I met Pam and we stayed in touch. She kept living in England. So, uh, it took us a while to decide that we wanted to date and then we did, and we dated for four years, and then I ended up getting married. And now she okay. lives here. So, so for quite a while, you guys were just buddies. Yeah, for like a year, you know, we were kind of experimenting with whether or not we wanted to commit to that kind of a relationship, you know, a transatlantic long-distance thing. Um, it's not something that you go into lightly. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we did. I think it was kind of an inev- inevitable thing, but it just kind of took a while. Okay. And was she a participant? So she was a participant in the competition? Or- yeah, she was in a different boat class. She was in a legs, shrunken arms boat class. Uh, and she has uh, arthritis. And so a couple of her joints are fused. So she has limited mobility in them. And okay. that qualified her for her boat class. Okay. Wow. And she won gold and I won bronze at the Paralympics. So, and then she, she won four world championships and two Paralympic gold medals. So there you go. (laughs) Okay. Have you guys thought of, of doing, of tag teaming, like doing kind of a, a circuit husband and wife type of thing? Uh, Um, what do you mean? Like like a a motivational speaking type of thing, husband and wife. Uh, you know, she's more into farming. She runs a farm on our, on our property. She's not as really into motivational speaking. She did it for a little bit. Um, but I don't think that's really her passion. Okay. Her passion I think is the farming. She might do speaking on farming stuff, but I don't think that she really got into the speaking thing as much as I did. What kind of farm? It's vegetables. And then she also does animals. Um, but the main business is vegetables and and chicken eggs and then she also raises animals for our, our own family and to sell a little bit of it yeah my dad's side uh my dad grew up on a dairy farm in fact mm. the farm that he grew up on is weiss farm that's my last oh. name yeah it's a bunch of in the middle of the 1850s a bunch of german lutherans left germany because they were being persecuted by the catholics at the time they went to america and they ended up buying this farmland in Michigan for like a dollar fifty an acre, and then it's been passed down through the generations even to now. Like my cousin uh, Roger owns the farm now, 
Wow. And it's there's on, also a Weiss, Weiss grocery store out where I live. Yeah. Well, there, there might be some connection. Now no, it's no, called think, the Weiss Centennial Farm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where's it at? It's in Frankenmuth, Michigan, Michigan. which is okay. about an hour north of Ann Arbor. And cool. it's actually become a tourist attraction. It's I think it's called the Weiss Centennial Farm now. So, like, it's still a dairy farm. And, okay. Um, but they also have, like, a, a maze, a corn maze, where people can come and go through the maze. And they give tours and stuff. It's a kind of cool. They have a awesome. robot. They don't have to milk the cows anymore because they got one of those robotic automatic cow milker thingies. Oh, I've seen one of those. Those are amazing. Yeah. Anyway, side tangent. Yeah, cool. So, so then you did that. So then for how many years did you do Paralympics? Um, I just did the one Paralympics and then I did rowing for one more year after that while I planned my bike ride. But I kind of knew at the end of the 2012 games that I wasn't really going to keep rowing because um, okay. I kind of struggled the whole time with – it just didn't feel like there was a greater purpose in it besides just winning a race and kind of seeking personal glory. Okay. And so I, I kind of didn't really feel right doing it for a long time. It was I a stepping like, stone. Yeah, I felt the need. Well, it was something that I wanted to try and just see what happened. And But as I did it, I kind of recognized that it, well, I didn't feel like it was going to fulfill me completely. Okay. So then you got into biking. Hmm. So what's that all about? Uh, well, I learned to ride a bicycle in therapy um, because before I was wounded, I was starting to get a little bit into mountain biking. And so it was just something that I thought I might enjoy to do after or I might enjoy to continue to do, but in order to do that, I would have to learn how to ride a bicycle, obviously as a amputee. And it was an interesting challenge because nobody had been able to do it as a double above the amputee at Walter Reed. And in fact, there was only one other guy in the entire world that had ever, that we, anybody knew about that it could ride a bicycle as a double above the amputee. Okay. And so it was kind of a fun and difficult challenge to try out. And it took about nine months for me to finally go from nothing to being able to ride on my own in the clinic. Okay. And I'm so your, your prosthetic has a artificial knee in it, right? It has a joint. Depending on the leg that I'm wearing, but yeah, my cycling ones do. Yeah. Okay. And my walking ones, but my running ones don't and my house legs don't. And so it, it varies. Uh, I'm trying to but think, as, so how does it stay on? Like, is it, does it really have to, on the pedal down. or how does the, it would seem like that motion since it's not like it would there's more lateral motion into it that how does it connect to your real leg and um, not like rattle all around in there and stuff so you do i just have prosthetic sockets that my leg goes down into and those are usually held on with suction or friction so i have a sleeve or i have a liner that i put on that's made out of silicone and then I put a socket on the outside of my leg and that's held on with another sleeve. I roll the sleeve up over the other liner and it's kind of held together by friction between the two. Okay. Uh, and then the liner is held on my leg by friction and so, and suction and that kind of thing. So, uh, it's, so you get like way. blisters or, or yeah, there's micro movements. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There's micro movements, even though it's, you know, a really tight fit, but, even then, you know, the, the socket moves ever so slightly every time I move my body. And so that was an issue. 
in that, uh, you know, the more pedals I do, the more movements there are. So yeah, eventually I would start to get little blisters or I would rub some skin off. And the way that I, I didn't do much to solve for that on the bike ride, but later on, eventually I started putting chamois cream, uh, on certain parts of my stump before I put the liner on. So that would kind of lubricate that particular spot. And then chamois cream obviously is the stuff that cyclists put on their butt to prevent chafing. Okay. Does the, I mean, do you eventually develop calluses and stuff and the skin gets tougher? It gets area? tougher, but, uh, I've never had it where it doesn't prevent blisters or anything. It gets a little bit tougher, but yeah. So when you're biking, you just power through it. Like, you know, if you're feeling the pain there you just deal with Depending. it. Depending. Yeah. If it's like a competition or something. Yeah. But you know, if it's, uh, if I'm just out for a, a casual ride just for fun, I might stop and take it off and, you know, try and make an adjustment because I don't want to, you know, if I get a blister, then it creates problems for me for a couple of weeks because I got to wait for it to heal. And it's hard for it to heal because I'm wearing prosthetic legs all the time mm. and it's painful. And so if I can prevent that from happening, it's a lot better just to stop and take care of it right in that moment. Okay. As opposed to let it fester and, you know, become a blister or become a wound. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that's true of a lot of things in life. You know, you, it's better if you address things before they become big problems. True. I know. Well, like I played cello and violin too. And uh, string players, they have this, everybody has issues with um, uh, tendonitis. Oh, yeah. So, and then exactly, it's exactly the same thing. If you feel, if you feel it coming on, the best thing to do is to stop playing for a while. You know, yeah. let your body heal. But you don't uh, want to. Right, you don't. And and, it's having and the discipline to recognize that uh, in the long term, it's better. Thing is, and especially when you're young, like when you're like in your late teens or early 20s and you want to practice all day long or whatever, there's a, there's a lot of stories of kids that, just tried to just deal with the pain, which mm -hmm. is then they really got screwed. Then they really got it bad. And then it took them a yeah. long time to recover from it. And what they should right. have done is just backed off and, you know, give your body a break. Yeah. 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 It's the same in daily life too. You know, sometimes you just got to back off and let yourself reset. Yeah. If you just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, then you can injure yourself yeah. mentally or you know, physically, spiritually, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we got 20 minutes How, right. now, but we can, you just said spiritually. So now we can go, we can go into that. So the, because okay. the thing was, is again, I first saw you at, it was our, at my day job, I'm an IT guy and, and our IT department invited you to be the motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. And obviously we don't need much training in, you know, Olympics and stuff like that. But it was, we brought you in just to, you know, motivate us. So how yeah. did you go from that, from the cycling and stuff now into the, what you, what you do now? Um, it was kind of a, a natural progression because obviously from uh, being wounded all the way to after I did the month of marathons, um, there's a lot of 
challenges that I had to face and overcome during that time period and in and, and various ways. And so I've always been tried to be an introspective person and I've always kind of had a natural uh, enjoyment of, you know, philosophic thinking philosophically and thinking deeply about various things and trying to identify why certain behaviors come up and how to overcome various uh, things that are going on in, in your head. That's always kind of interested me. And so it was kind of a natural thing for me to then try and look back and identify how I was able to actually do what I did and, you know, what were the challenges I faced mentally? Um, how did I sort of overcome them? How did I get by them? How did I use them to my, my advantage? And so I just kind of enjoyed that kind of introspection. And I figured I also have this desire to make a difference and, and, uh, have a meaningful life. And I thought that that could be something that, um, could do that for me, could, could sort of combine wanting to do something meaningful with wanting to do something that I enjoy. So I enjoy this sort of philosophical introspective thing. I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy like this kind of thing where we're going back and forth, trying to get to the bottom of a, a certain feeling or a, a, a situation. Um, and I also like helping people. Um, and so maybe I could combine those two things into an enjoyable and a, and a meaningful life. And so after I did the month of marathons, I got contacted by a speakers bureau that said they wanted to represent me. And that sort of got me thinking in that direction. And so I started building a story and learned how to, you know, craft your own story, you know, the elements that you need to hit the hero's journey and things like that. And started, and that's been fun trying to figure out challenging, but fun, you know, to try and figure out where those moments were in my story um, different elements of that. And then also figuring out how to then deliver that to uh, a crowd effectively so that they're going to enjoy it and also get something out of it. Great. Okay. So that's what I tried to do over at King County. Oh, great. It's definitely harder though. It's harder though uh, doing it virtually because you don't really get feedback. Right. Yeah. What I find is that's what I find when I do performing or even some version of public speaking is, um, some people get are afraid of crowds and they get really, they get stage fright and they get, they're scared, you know, but other people, me, I connect with the crowd and I get energized by the people. And so yeah, you can focus on one person in the front that looks like they're really enjoying it. And you just stick with that person. Well, right. I did the King County thing for whatever reason, zoom, you know, how when like right now, I can see you, but when there's multiple people, it just kind of, I don't know, it randomly selects a screen to put up, but it was yeah. just a black screen. Oh. <laughs> it was like somebody that wasn't actually, I didn't have their video on. So I was just most like people looking didn't. at a black screen. Yeah. yeah, most people don't, at the at the team meetings, most people don't turn their video on. Yeah, so it's a unique yeah. um, unique speaking challenge in that yeah. regard. So like, Because it's hard to tell if what I'm doing is connecting with anybody. I'm not really getting any feedback. So I just kind of... Right presenting and, and at the end i'm just kind of hoping that everybody's having a good time now you know it's like to be a radio announcer yeah <laughs> yeah oh that's cool so is that a relatively new thing then these those kind of paid public speaking motivational hour type of things for you i've been doing it since 2018 oh okay um 
And it takes a long time to build up your, it, it takes a long time to build up um, notoriety and mm. word of mouth and, you know, a career in that. And I'm not at the level of, uh, you know, uh, the highest level of people, especially mm -hmm. since after the COVID pandemic kind of really shut things down. Right. Um, but yes, it's something that I've built. I've been building up for a while. Do you go to church groups often? Do you ever get invited for gigs like that or? From time to time, I'm not a particularly uh, faith based uh, person. And so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not averse to going into any, any establishment. Um, but yeah, I haven't been getting a whole lot of requests to speak at churches or anything like that, but okay. from time to time. Okay. And now we can go there. So, okay. um, you're not faith-based, but do you have a belief in, or an experience of what you would might consider God or some kind of cosmic consciousness beyond yourself? Like, uh, I don't think so. I don't, I haven't put a whole lot of thought into this. This has never really been something that's been on my radar, but. Okay. I don't believe that. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. So, I mean, I can't believe that you haven't thought of the existence of some kind of. Not deeply. Creator. Okay. Not deeply. Um, it's just never, I just. I figured there probably isn't one. So I just kind of moved on from it. Okay, yeah. so you consider so I guess you consider yourself to be an atheist then, basically. I don't know. I, I I don't know that I could really classify myself in any way. It's just not something that I really think about. I just think about the things that I can do, uh, to accomplish what I want to accomplish, and so I haven't really thought about that in a philosophical way. I just think about what what actions can I take to affect this a solution here, and I'm not going to wait around for any sort of cosmic consciousness to come in and affect things, I'm going to take the action myself. So I've just never really okay. put a whole lot of thought into, I don't know that I would classify myself as, as an atheist or agnostic or anything. Sounds like you're an agnostic, but possibly. Um, yeah. I don't know. We're like, you don't have it. You, I guess you don't have an opinion either way, or at least that's your stance. Something like that. I mean, I haven't really, I don't know all the different definitions and how they uh, compare to each other and what they all mean in terms of those classifications. Okay. So then where do you draw your spiritual strength from? Um, a sense of duty to the people that matter to me and the causes that matter to me and that I care about more than myself. And so I, you know, it, maybe the cosmic, uh, the cosmic being or whatever um, that drives me is love. You know, love for okay. the people that I care about and the causes that I care about. Okay. Um, and that's I don't know if that's a cosmic thing, but that's that's something that human beings feel. It's sort of one of those inex inexplainable things, but. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I do. I want to, I want to help the people that I care about. I want to help the people that are the causes that I care about. Um, and that's kind of what drives me forward is to do that. The feeling of love. Yeah. Now, if there's a spiritual thing that you can derive from that, then there you go. But I haven't really, um, 
tried I haven't tried to link those two things. I'm sure somebody probably could. So this love you feel is you feel it in yourself and you feel it in others. In other words, I, from your point of view, it's it's a self-created feeling within your own being. Yeah, well, I don't know if I created it, but you know, it's there. Uh, I think it's something that builds. It's like you don't you don't create love for your wife. You just you just kind of love her over time. Or you, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't think anybody really understands how it works, but I didn't create love for my fellow Marines when I was in Afghanistan. It was just, it was created through our shared experiences. And so it that's just what happened. Appeared. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I have no, I don't think it magically appeared, but you know, it's just one of those things that builds. I don't know how it works. I'm trying to get you to dig a little. <laughs> I don't, I, I really don't know how, um, how that how that works i mean that's a question that is for the smarter people than me all i know is i love people mm -hmm. and i love causes and that's kind of that love is what drives me to do the things that i do okay like, i could get I love really, my mom so i, I was gonna to, say your mom i'm like maybe it all goes back to mom that that's where the love first started you know yeah well i mean before that though well, I mean, obviously not before that because my mom gave birth to me, but, you know, before the moment of having to decide to uh, be okay for my mom, I had to love my fellow Marines so that I could go try and find IEDs for them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just caring about having people or causes or places in your life that you care about more than yourself. And that's what that's kind of how I define it. And that's kind of what gets me to be able to overcome and challenge myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if there's something spiritual there that people can derive from it, then I'm sure there's a way to interpret that uh, in that way. Well, the reason I'm even going there is that you were used, you brought up those terms yourself. You said it's spirit, you use the term spiritual. Yeah, yeah. And so it has some meaning to you, right? Yeah, well, I think um, everybody sort of has that their own definition of what that is, spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's those are the ways that you can grow. You know, you can grow on a physical perspective. You can grow on a mental perspective, psychological. And then there is that sort of spiritual aspect to it that uh, – You know that 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 can grow right. as well because i mean you know the word spirit and the word inspire those two words are the same so when you dig right. deep the spirit and what inspires you is basically what gives you life it's like yeah. the things that make that matter to you yeah yeah that's a really good way to put it it's like having morale in in war esprit de corps and more and war esprit de corps esprit is is the word for spirit in Latin, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, that sort of uh, intangible thing that uh, people have been trying to explain for a very long time mm -hmm. throughout entire human history. Yeah. Hmm. So there's something there that can grow as well. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay. <laughs>
Well, we just used up a whole hour. <laughs> right on the precipice of a whole brand new discussion. Dang. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Yeah. All right, Rob. Well, it's been great seeing you again. You too. And um, Part two, well, Wrath of Matt. Yeah, the Wrath of Matt. Yeah, okay. So, I'll, I was just going to call it Rob Jones' journey part two, but whatever. <laughs> That's good too. So, folks, we'll put links in the description um, for the previous video if you haven't seen it. Um, and then, we'll again, uh, all Rob's links, your website, um, and everything, Twitter, Facebook, and all that stuff we'll put down there. Mm -hmm. And um, let's just keep in touch. Maybe we'll do another one, number three. Yeah, stay in uh, touch. Send me that uh, symphony or I don't know what oh, you yeah. call it, your concerto. Cello concerto. Yeah, we were Check talking out, about yeah. that before we started. Yeah, send that over to me when you have it. It's actually, it's actually the first movement is done. I, I just sent it to the conductor okay. to approve. I told him I'd let him watch it first just to make sure he's cool with it before I publish it. Cool. But yeah, I'm very, very happy with how it came out. Awesome. Cool. All right, sir. And then uh, I think we did do, do the Live Long and Prosper, right? Oh, Last boom. time. I don't know. We did. See, so, you know. I know I, what it is. Yeah. Live Long and Prosper, my friend. You Take too. care. Happy 4th of July. Hey, same to you. All right. And then we'll, we'll meet again next time. Sounds good, man. All right. You take later. care. Of all beings everywhere. We gotta 